Welcome to the Waymaker Fireside Chat Podcast, where our purpose is to grow your life and change the world. In this episode, we sit down with Mark Pritchard and Damon Jones, Procter & Gamble's Chief Brand Officer and Chief Communications Officer, respectively. Lewis Carr is the founder of Waymaker, the Lewis Carr Internship Foundation, the Blueprint Men's Summit, president of media sales at BET Networks, and author of Dirty Little Secrets. Procter & Gamble is one of the world's largest consumer goods manufacturers behind brands such as Pampers, Tide, Bounty, Gillette, Old Spice, Head & Shoulders, Crest, and dozens more. Today, Mark and Damon will discuss the origins of P&G, how it's lasted 185 years, and its mission to be a force for good and to give back. Let's get started. Hi, I'm Lewis Carr, founder of Waymaker, where our mission is to educate, motivate, and inspire people to live their best life, to help their families, their communities, and ultimately their country. And today on the Waymaker Fireside Chat, we have the privilege of having Damon Jones, Chief Communications Officer, and Mark Pritchard, Chief Brand Officer of that giant company, Procter & Gamble. Welcome, guys. Great to Thank be with you. Lewis. Great to be here. Great. So glad to have you and to sort of let people know the Procter & Gamble story, the many brands that serve within that portfolio, and what your role is and how you are engaging with our community on a day-to-day -day basis. So, Damon, before we get too deep, tell our readers and listeners about P&G and some of its well-known brands. Uh, P&G is one of the world's largest consumer goods manufacturers. You may know us as the company in your medicine cabinet with Vicks, uh, in your laundry room with Tide. Uh, growing up, if you had Pampers on your on your bottom like I did, um, P&G is the company behind a lot of those well-known brands and we've been around for a while, nearly 185 years. Um, uh, you know, our company was founded on some very simple truths of, of quality and honesty. Uh, and when you deal with people in a very fair way, they will give you their trust. Uh, and that trust allows you to build relationships with them uh, here in the U.S. and in many places around the world. So um, we view uh, ourselves as a trustworthy partner to households uh, across America and across the world. Uh, we do that by giving people superior products um, that are in their homes every day. Um, but we also recognize that we have to go beyond just providing uh, a great brand at a great at a great price. We've got to be a part of the communities um, by serving and giving back. Um, that's fundamentally who we are um, and our brands, whether that is Tide and Crest and Pampers or Gillette and Pantene, look to do that every day. Mark, we've heard you say that P&G is a force for growth and a force for good. What does that really mean? <laughs> well, you know, Lewis, it's, it's grounded in a little bit of what, what Damon was talking about is that what's the what's the purpose of our company? You know, our, our, our company, our, our statement of purpose says we provide branded products of superior quality and value that improve the lives of the world's consumers now and for generations to come. And as a result, they will reward us with leadership, sales, profit and value creation, which allow our employees, our shareholders and the communities in which we live and work to prosper. So that's our statement of purpose. And that's really what grounds us in this idea of being both 
a force for growth and a force for good. When you, when you grow and you become a big company, just as you described us earlier, you have an obligation to do more than just grow. You need to do good. Uh, it, it, and our founding um, uh, father, so to speak, uh, William Cooper Proctor and James Gamble felt that way from the very beginning. They founded the Community Chest in Cincinnati, which was a way to give underprivileged people in Cincinnati a, a way to get back on their feet because they knew that healthy, thriving communities were not only good for society, they were good for business. Today, consumers we serve are asking for brands and companies to take a, to, to step up and provide improvements in social conditions and environmental conditions. And they trust brands that do that more and more. We've done work with you on that um, in, uh, in, in BET during COVID and on many other fronts. So they expect brands to use their size, their growth, their, their profitability to be able to do good. So we've decided that that's what we're going to do. We will be a force for growth in order to be a force for good, particularly in the areas of equality and inclusion, sustainability and community impact. And it's something that we live and breathe every single day. Thank you for that. Damon, P&G has been known as a purpose-driven company. How do your personal values sort of drive the work that you do? You know, I, I think it's, um, if you think about, you could take your your time and your talent and your treasure anywhere in the world, um, where would you take them, right? And you want to take them from me to a place that aligns with your values, uh, in a place that recognizes your uh, individually um, and where you can put your hands to work, right? So my grandmother used to always say, you know, do what you can with what you have where you're at, right? And, and further to what Mark talked about is, you know, for me, you know, I've been at the company 25 years, uh, started when I was 12, by the way. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, for, for me, it, it is looking at, can I put those values into action? Uh, uh, you know, I grew up in Detroit. Uh, my parents, you know, were in the automotive industry. I watched my mother um, work for the UAW for, for nearly 40 years. And that's where I learned the concept of what it meant to, to really be an activist, but not necessarily a community activist, but to, to make sure that what you were doing left a lasting legacy. Um, and during the times in that time where there was a lot of uh, sexual harassment kind of going on in that industry, she was a voice that said, you know what, um, this ain't right. And, and I'm going to, you know, step up and help give voice to that. So she was my example uh, for someone who could, in the context of the work that she was doing, make a difference to her colleagues, uh, make a difference to her union family, make a difference for her company. Uh, but to do that in a way that just wasn't about her, it was about us and about her community at the end of the day. And that's the way I look at a lot of the work that I do. Um, you know, yes, I want to go in and, and make things successful for, for P&G. But when I look at um, a, a host of historically excluded groups, right, whether that is uh, ethnic or racial minorities, whether that's members of the LGBT community, through whatever lens that you look at that, you know, how can I take uh, the position and the privilege that I have uh, to leverage the resources of P&G uh, as one of the world's largest advertisers to really, you know, be a force for good and a force for growth, as Mark talked about. And so we've learned to use our voice and our resources and our scale and the access that we have to a wide variety of partners to bring people together to push forward that agenda. Um, and so I found to your question, when I can line up with my values, 
um, you know, PNG gets the best of me and, and I and I bring my whole self to work every single day. Great. Mark, there's been this rumor that PNG is the largest advertiser in the world. Is that true? Yeah, we go back and forth between number one and number two. I think this year we're number one again. Indeed. And how do you use that position to be an inspiration to create change within the industry and around the world when it comes to giving equal opportunity to uh, communities of color? You know, Lewis, that, that, you know, and, and Damon mentioned it, is that as you know, the world's largest advertiser, once again, uh, we, we obviously use that to drive growth. Uh, because you reach 5 billion people on the planet every day with our ads to talk about what our product's benefits are. But it also gives us a responsibility and an obligation to use that advertising for good. Um, advertising embeds memories into people's minds that form uh, perceptions, images, and bias. So first and foremost, we make sure that we use our advertising in a way that provides the accurate portrayal of every person, regardless of gender, gender identity, race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, ability, religion, age. Accurate portrayal is the first thing we do to make sure that we never stereotype, objectify, diminish, denigrate, so people can see reality and they can see who people really are. So that's job one. The second thing we do is we periodically take a stand and we convey uh, a point of view about things that aren't right or that need to be discussed. Um, we like to spark conversation with our advertising. We've done that with the talk, with the look, with the choice, uh, with circumstances. Uh, we use this as a way to be able to create conversation about things like bias. And so, because conversation really leads to understanding. Understanding then leads to attitude change, and then attitude change can lead to action to be able to promote equality. But we go even beyond that. We also look to ensure that we have equality behind the camera, uh, equality throughout our entire supply chain. Well, I call that create. We call that the creative supply chain and media supply chain. You know, we want all of our brand groups, all of our agencies, um, all of our you know behind the camera in terms of who is the director, the producer, uh, the crews, as well as the media companies to be equal. Now, that's where we have a lot more work to do because it's not equal. And what, but when we can achieve equality. Uh, in that in that supply chain, that actually promotes um, e equal wealth, equal income, and then also will promote economic purchasing power and economic power. Economic inclusion is good for business. It's good for society. And so that's how all these things come together and how we use that size, not only for growth, but for good. Mark, you guys have been known for your consumer insights uh, and, and data forever. Uh, you've been sort of an industry standard. How and when 
did you turn your attention to the black consumer market? Uh, why was that decision made to say, we're going to be a leading consumer company when it comes to understanding black consumer uh, behavior and buying habits? As long as I've been with the company, which is now going on 40 years. So I, I started when I was- You here. started when you were 12 too, right? Two years old, yeah. Um, <laughs> as long as I've been with the company, uh, we have always focused on ensuring that we provide offerings for black consumers and in our advertising have looked to promote diversity. But I would say that we didn't really start getting delivered about this until about, I guess it was probably 2015. Um, so about, about seven years ago. And it was and it was after actually some real soul searching within our company when uh, a number of, 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 our, of our black senior black leaders, Damon, Damon, one of them, who, who really called out um, several of us uh, at, at the leadership level um, about not really walking the talk when it came to equality and inclusion. And in particular, that we were not really paying enough attention to our black employees as well as to black consumers. It was a, it was a wake up call. Uh, it was a painful wake up call for me because I'm someone who from the very beginning of my life um, felt that I was somewhat of an activist. My dad was, was a Mexican American. He was very, very active um, in the uh, Chicano community in, in uh, um, Colorado. So I always, always kind of viewed myself that way. And then and when I worked at, in Baltimore and Hunt Valley, in the cosmetics business, you and I knew each other back then. I thought, you know, did that, but, and I was the executive sponsor of the African Ancestry Leadership Network. And yet, you know, basically being called out as, oh, you're, not, you're not sure you're doing enough. And, and, and they were right. So we decided we were going to step up and double down and be the best company for black employees and the best um, brands for black consumers. And that's when we really started going after it. And uh, I'm not saying we're there at all now. The good news is we're, we're number one or two with our top 25 brands among, uh, among all of our brands, among black consumers. You know, but, but our market share gap between the national average and black consumers, there, there's still a gap. And that gap, we close that gap. It's worth close to a half a billion dollars. I have a trillion dollars, sorry, that, or half, yeah, 500 million, sorry, half a billion dollars, got it. Damon's here to help me out with the, the so $500 million is, is the kind of range that that, that could provide. So, so um, that is really now getting us to focus far more deliberately on how do we create superior offerings, superior products, packaging, communication, retail execution and value for black consumers on all of our brands. Damon, down the same road, as P&G began this journey to create this ecosystem that reflected the diversity of their consumers, you had to choose partners to help you get there. Tell us about that process. Well, it, it, it's, um, it, it's not easy. And what I would say is it's not a straight line. Um, it, it'd be easy to sit there and say, OK, you want people who are who are as committed to doing it and you want people who share your values. 
Um, but we also have to pay attention to, um, you know, the development of the industries in which we're in. Right. And, and one of the things is we got into a number of industries. We looked around and there weren't uh, a, a number of people that looked like me in these industries. Right. And, and so um, we're talking with people and understanding their commitment. You needed to be sure uh, you need to be sure that you were talking to people that followed through on the things that they said um, that reflected um, uh, the consumers that we serve um, and that were honest in what was working and what was not working. Uh, and to Mark's, you know, pre previous, previous point, it's we recognized that while we were doing some good things, we had to pay as much attention to the things that weren't working and to be honest about what those barriers were. And so one of the qualities that we look for in the partners is not that they are perfect, but that, that they are honest with themselves and honest with us as a business partner on where they're at on that journey. Um, and that allows us to, you know, to get to one plus one equals three. Um, what I would say is, you know, we've progressed to a certain point where um, we know where we're headed. Um, you know, we're, we're very aware of where uh, our partners also need to not just do the right things within their own walls, but how are they trying to create the systemic change in our industry um, that allows them uh, to really be a positive force there. So very specifically, Lewis, it's people um, that are committed to the journey, people that have diverse sets of employees. Um, people that believe in economic inclusion, uh, as we do through a lot of the work that, um, you know, we do with supplier diversity, but thinking about that in ways that perhaps our industries always haven't, right? Not just finding a black owned company, uh, just so you can say I've got a black owned company working with me, uh, understanding the barriers, whether that's cash flow and payment terms, all of the different types of flexibility that need to exist to bring those partners in um, is really important. And then finding with partners who are going to grow with us over time. Uh, again, you know, I always joke about this is you can't let the uh, perfect be the enemy of, of the good. Right. So, you know, that this concept of progress, not perfection to keep at it, to open that dialogue, um, but to really be committed on the journey um, through every aspect of their operations. Uh, for us, we look at what we're doing in the equality spaces. You know, what are you doing with your brands? What are you doing with your uh, employees, what are you doing with your business partners and what are you doing in the community? So we look for, for companies and partners that are also taking a very holistic um, approach to what they're doing to drive that equality um, uh, in, in their industries. And, and we believe we're on, uh, on a pretty good track. Great. Thank you for that, Damon. Mark, so in 2015, when you say, you know, the company got very intentional and, and committed uh, to black consumers, which were the brands that sort of raised their hand first and said, hey, I'm in. Which, which, which were the first brands to kind of step out there? Well, one brand that really stepped up was Always. Uh, Always is our brand, um, uh, uh, period protection brand. And, and over time, what they've done is they've done a better job of, first of all, in their advertising, ensuring the accurate portrayal. Um, not not so much taking a stand, but just building it in to their to their superiority offerings, um, figuring out from a product standpoint, from a package standpoint, from a uh, uh, a way in which they can make their products available. So they they did a good job, and they're they're now they have a market share, you know, surplus. They're they're actually um, bigger uh, than the national average. Uh, gain laundry detergent was an was another one that has done. Uh, you know, really been one of our best brands um, among black consumers. Then then Olay, Olay really got into it and is doing a really nice job now. Um, we've got some 
some great uh, folks on that team. Stephanie Headley has been uh, a real a real pioneer in helping us now focus on. We got a, we got a, a, um, a number of ways in which we have um, engaged uh, black consumers. Now, Joy Bulamwini is going closing the STEM gap. Um, Venus has 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 done a nice job. Venus Venus used to be, you know, white women in bikinis on the beach. And now they have fully embraced every bit of diversity. Uh, they're not they're not quite there and from a gap standpoint, but they're getting there. And then Old Spice was one that that this was a, a, a really, really good case study about why it's important to really make sure you get insight, because what Old Spice had is a situation where they, they're like, hey, why do we have this big market share gap? We've got black black people in our advertising. And uh, but when they got diversity on their team, like Andrea Wilkerson and Omar Goff and dug in uh, and really embraced black consumers, they realized, hmm, uh, black folks don't want to see the way that Old Spice was depicting black men. Uh, They wanted to see black men as they are, sophisticated and smooth, not brash and loud. And they changed their advertising. They did the Men Have Skin Too um, campaign with uh, Gabrielle Dennis and Dion Cole. And then they have Patty, put Patty LaBelle in it. So, But that has really dramatically increased their business among black consumers. Again, not out of the woods yet, but but they're getting there. Um, and uh, Gillette has now created a, a, a razor called Skin Guard, which is uniquely made. They uniquely made that directly for black men because black men tend to get razor bumps and they they figured out a way to be able to create that. Now they still, again, <laughs> more work to do to make sure they can get it out to uh, and connect with with uh, consumers. But, but a number of brands have really started to step up. You asked for the first brand, I gave you several because what it is is the flywheel is starting now and people are starting to get after it. Yeah, and, and I think that the point just to build on that is really important is it's oftentimes easy for these conversations to be relegated to advertising. Um, and, you know, I, I can say, I just don't want to be advertised to. I want someone to really understand me and to meet my needs, right? And, and if I think about what some of our brands have done is they've had to go back in and say, what are the true needs of a black consumer that might be different um, than a white consumer? And understand that and be open and honest and not try to go to the lowest common denominator. I don't, you know, I don't want to be known as the lowest common denominator. Meet my unique needs, serve me and serve me well based on who I am, the values of my community and my particular needs. And I think we've seen a number of our brands step up and do that really well. And those are the brands um, that are going to last, you know, look at Pantene Gold Series, uniquely meeting the needs for black women's hair because they recognize Washing up, you know, your hair for a black woman is is a totally different experience than it is for a white woman, right? And so let's not try to not talk about it. Let's let's fully embrace it, fully talk about it. And when you get over some of that, oh, we really can't talk about differences. Then you can really, you know, treat people in the fullness of their humanity. And you know, sorry, just keep going on that. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about some of these. Well, because just what you know, what 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 Damon just described, for example, is you know. Uh, washing hair, you know, what, 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 for, for many years, for decades, it was lather, rinse, repeat. Well, for that's not speaking to black women where it's, you know, not the wash day, it's the wash days. 
or or multiple days, sometimes over time, and and much heavier conditioning needs. You know, we've developed a whole new line of products for Black women. My Black is beautiful, as a result of of what what, what we found. Um, Old Spice came out with a whole new line the, that is appealing uh, to, to Black men. Uh, Olay just came out with uh, their new vitamin C product that was really made uniquely for Black and Hispanic women. So anyway, that's when I start getting excited as well. That's when I know we're starting to really get there is because we're starting to develop the products that are uniquely made for Black for, for black consumers as opposed to, as Damon said, just, just communicating, hey, Come try me. Well, great. Uh, I think you guys are on the right track. But let's go back a couple of years uh, to 2020. The tragic death of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey. A lot of companies and brands said, hey, I'm going to do better. I'm going to spend more. I'm going to do that, this and that. And it was all because of DEI issues. When you guys look back, you, you were there long before 2020. Was it DEI issues or was it strictly business or was it both that drove you to sort of focus on this market? I mean, I'll, I'll give you my point of view. Um, I mean, I think it's all of the above, right? But I think if we go back to where we started today's conversation, um, it's about serving consumers and serving consumers authentically, right? Um, if, if I look at that is we had to have the open and honest conversations with people as they walk through our doors of the company. Um, and how, how are you feeling about what we're doing? How are you feeling about, you know, our view and our responsibility in the world? Um, and, and we have been pressed to do even more since 2020. Um, but I, I think the difference between um, some companies like P&G and some companies who haven't been on that journey. Um, I think we've earned the right um, to engage deeply and meaningfully in some of these conversations because we've been a, a deep and meaningful part of some of the communities, right? If, if, if you were just having your first conversation after George Floyd's death, you might have been sitting back saying, oh my gosh, when did this stuff all start happening, right? But if you were part of this community, you would have known that this stuff has been happening for years, right? We just walk around with cell phones right now so we can put it on camera, right? right? And right. so that gives us the ability to have the authentic conversations. And it goes back to your point earlier on consumer insights. Part of what we have been on a journey to do is to make sure that we have been having insights with consumers, not just about tell me about your hair or tell me about your razor bumps or what it might be, is you got to have conversations about what's going on in your life. Right. And if I go back a number of years ago, we created a short film called The Talk. Right. And the, the spark for the talk came out of My Black is Beautiful and conversations that we were having with black mothers about what they wanted um, for their daughters. Right. And they just didn't say, well, I want my daughter to have shampoo X or makeup Y. It, it started to get into well, I want my daughter to have this type of an experience as a young black woman growing up in America. And so as a result, we wound up telling the stories of the conversations that black mothers were having with their children, not just about, you know, um, the, you know, what's happening inside the house, but what happens when you leave the house? What are the, my hopes and dreams and, and the candid realities of being black in America? That opened up doors so that consumers began to trust us with those stories. We could then reflect many of those stories back in a very um, authentic way 
right? And I think some of the films that we've been able to create as a result, be that the talk or be that the look or any of these resonate because of that authenticity. So do we have DEI challenges? Absolutely, that we do for every company, right? We've got very clear goals um, that we want to achieve and we're not there yet. So we're going to keep working at them. Um, but but again, it can't just be about DEI and keeping your employees happy, right? People will sniff through BS incredibly quickly, right? So if you're not authentic, if you're not walking the talk, um, then I think we're going to be much like we're, we're approaching another anniversary. People are going to look up and say, okay, great. You, you put that black box on Instagram. Tell me what you've done. Show me how black lives have mattered to your company. Talk to me about the black people that you've hired. Talk to me about the black uh, partners that you have, right? And if you've not done that, then it's performative and, and, and consumers are going to see right through that. You know, and, and to, to, to build on that, just thinking about our journey, you know, I talked to you about our, the, the, our 2015 declaration. We did a lot of work inside first. So there was a lot more focus on just the DEI aspect of it inside our walls because we felt that that was critical. We, we knew that that was, that that was critical. Um, it wasn't until 2018 that we came out with the talk. Um, and, uh, and you remember, uh, Lewis, because you came to us and said, let's talk about black men. Mm -hmm. Let's go do a study about black men. We did a study about black men that led to the look. Um, uh, then when, when, um, at, at, and then we started digging deeper in terms of what needed to happen, not only inside our walls, but outside our walls in terms of, uh, both our own DE and I, and as well as, as conversations about equality and digging deep and understanding the gaps. Um, then, then after George Floyd was murdered, we, you know, we came out with the choice, which just was a broader statement of, you know, it's not going to be just the black community. It is, it has to be the white community that needs to step up as well. And that opened a doors for additional conversations. And then I would say we probably dove, I would not say probably, we did dive deeper into business and, and looked at what is the opportunity? How do we make this part of our business? And that's when we really started being even more deliberate about understanding um, insights and needs for black consumers and coming up with, with, with products and packaging and, and communications. It's also what led to the recognition that the creative supply chain is not equal. Um, that's what led to the queen collective widen the screen as well as, um, looking at just black owned operated and targeted media and how it represents still a very small e uh, part of the media ecosystem. So we started focusing on driving uh, activity there because what we knew is if we can drive, again, economic inclusion, um, then that is going to be good for everyone. Uh, it'll be good for our business. It'll be good for the market. It'll be good for society. So um, that's it's it's all come together in terms of, of uh, all of the above is the best answer as Damon started. So staying on that creative, the, the, the look, the talk, the choice, it has been award-winning creative. Uh, it has become the gold standard in the industry, but none of it was selling razor blades, deodorant, soap, or anything like that. 
How difficult was it to get that approved by the corporation? Because uh, it was almost like, as far as I can remember, the first where any company just really leaned in and said, hey, we're going to use money, but we're not going to be hardcore direct selling our products. How difficult was that? What was that conversation like? I mean, I'll start and and Mark and I often describe ourselves as being in the bunker together on on much of this work. Um, I mean, the work resonates first and foremost because it's authentic. It's grounded in consumer insights. Um, I think the work um, has um, resonance um, largely because uh, it's designed to spark conversation that sparks dialogue that leads to understanding that leads to people changing their behavior. Right. Um, I mean, each of them, uh, you know, some people look at it and, and they kind of get, Ooh, insight, never looked at it that way. Um, but then you have to lean into that, that bit of tension and that, um, that uncomfortableness again, starting first internally. Right. Um, and then saying, okay, how do we envision getting to a better place of this? Um, and, and at the end of the day, um, you know, I think we'll, we're a better company because our employees look at this and recognize it. Um, you know, the, the, the benefit of some of this work, consumers, uh, influencers, it, you just can't look at all of this work as the short term. Um, you know, how, how many, much money can I make if I just do this thing? Right. The, the, the challenges that we have are layered and complex and the solutions are layered and complex. So what Mark said at the very beginning, we recognize our role as a leading advertiser bring people together, spark dialogue, spark discussion, bring people together in a way that ends bias. Um, but uh, again, that that's going to be the result of a conversation uh, and not just a numbers exercise. And frankly, it takes courageous leaders like Mark to, to help us to work through that, right? Um, because there are times when you do want to drive a brand connection and there's nothing wrong with it, but you can't let that brand connection overwhelm the message, right? And that's the classic battle with advertisers, right? Sometimes it's kind of like, you got to know when is enough, but not too much. Um, but again, authentic insights, very clear mission and purpose, leaders that champion the work, and then being um, able to invite people in to understand what does the black community see when they say, see that? What does the white community uh, say when they see that? And then really mixing those two together. And then when you put it all together, knowing that you've got something that's really special that is going to be enduring, right? Because most advertising is designed to be very short term. When you design something for the long term, then you've got a little bit more of that freedom and flexibility. But Mark, you've been at this a little bit longer than I have. So, you know, how, you, you tell me how you look at it. I, I look at it the same way. And I look at it as uh, these these films were were at a time when we were making a commitment internally to make a difference and to step up for for racial equality, particularly among um, uh, uh, the, the black community. So the the uh, the talk was was one where, you know, we we wanted to spark a conversation. Um, now we sparked more conversation than we expected, which is um, <laughs> where where Damon and I were in the bunker together. But you know, I remember very well after we were starting to take some hits, and I walked into our CEO's office, David Taylor. I said. We're taking some shots here. Some people are asking us to take this off air. I don't think we should do that. And he said, you're right. We're standing by it. So that was a big deal. Um, and uh, 
then when we came out with the look, the interesting thing, thing about the look, um, you know, we 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 created that, produced that. And I can remember when Damon and I sat down and after we we created it and showed it to, to David and he's like, good to go. Um, we started internally before we went external. Um, and, and then, and because we wanted to build the conversation, we learned a lot from the talk and build the conversation. Um, so then when George Floyd was, was killed, we came out with a choice in about, we did that in about 10 days, mm-hmm. um, because the time was right. Uh, Lewis, you know, we had conversations, you and I, about this situation, about what was needed, about the white community needing, needing to step up. And so, you know, we had an insight in terms of what, what was necessary. So, um, you know, I remember then again, showing it to our team and uh, in, uh, leadership and team. And they said, okay, let's go. And we re-released the talk, the look at the, the choice all at the same time and put it into the context. If you'll, re- you'll recall um, on several, several programs, including, including on BET because the time was right and it was necessary to do. So, you know, um, these, there are times when, 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 when you need to step up. Um, and, uh, and I think we did that. And I think it has opened a lot of conversation. And I think it's made us a better company. And, you know, now, now we're trying to take it and make it, you know, a systemic change more than just uh, a communication. That's great. So you're partnering on this thing called the Queen Collective. Uh, which gives women of color an opportunity to produce short films. And you're working with a queen herself, Queen Latifah, on this project. How, how did you get an A-lister like her involved uh, with you on this? Well, the good news is um, I, I've known known Queen since um, uh, from about maybe a little over 20 years now, because we worked together on CoverGirl. She was, we made a decision when I was on CoverGirl that we needed to have a much more diverse portfolio of, um, of, of, of partners. And, uh, and she was a choice um, that we wanted to work with her on, and she was the best CoverGirl ever. And we happened to be in a, uh, at a conference, a Women of the World conference, talking about equality. And uh, and um, and Queen was on the panel with me. And on the way out uh, after this discussion about equality, she said, we have to do something good together again. And a year later, uh, it was her idea of let's find a way to get more multicultural women behind the camera producing films. And the Queen Collective was born and uh, I've already produced eight films. And uh, we're now working on our next round. We got a meeting next week as what's coming next. Uh, we've been we've been uh, blessed enough to have good partners like you to be able to put um, these these films on air on on BET and several other places and give give not only uh, black women directors a chance, women also give crews a chance, the whole production crews. So it's created a greater degree of diversity within um, within the production uh, system. And then it's also helping us build out black owned me- and targeted media. Great. There's been a lot of conversation, Damon, around investments in black owned media. 
It, it has been a hot topic over the, 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 the last two years. Where are you guys uh, at in regards to Black-owned media and your investment there? It's been hot, Lewis, for two years, but it's been a discussion for many years, um, as you well know. Um, it's been a discussion because there isn't enough Black media. Um, uh, there's not enough Black media in the right places. Um, and it, there's not enough Black media largely because advertising, uh, advertisers collectively um, haven't invested enough to help that ecosystem grow. Um, to Mark's point, on uh, we've not done enough to help multicultural people grow in the creative industry. And we now need deliberate investment uh, of talent, of resources, uh, and of broad assistance to get that going the way it needs to be. We need to apply the same thing to Black-owned media, right? Um, you know, what's the content? What's the advertising ecosystem? Um, what's the the reach, the measurement, the, the all of that? Um, so... Where I think we're at is, is we need to do our part um, to do better as Procter & Gamble. We need to do our part to uh, spark others in the industry um, to come together towards that, right? So we've made a commitment um, that we're going to double um, the level of an investment that we have uh, with Black-owned media. We've created a partnership development fund uh, working with a wide variety uh, of Black-owned media, whether that's radio, whether that's TV, whether that's digital, um, and fueling that. Um, with a full system of content, uh, because when you have great content, you can draw more eyeballs. When you have more eyeballs, you can drive more, drive more advertising. When you have more advertising commitments over time, you can build greater content. So it becomes into this virtuous cycle. Um, but, but all of these challenges start with the recognition of where are we? And we have to say we're not where we need to be as a, a company and an industry. And when you do that, then you can say, okay, now to, to what Mark always says, what are you going to go do about it, right? Great, don't bring me a problem, but bring me the problem, but tell me what you're going to go do about it, right? Um, and so we're, we're looking broadly and saying, how do we bring in more people? Um, you know, how do we work with organizations that are providing the capability building that's needed for organizations who are small, who want to get large? Um, but importantly, how are we breaking down the barriers um, to, 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 for the sustaining power of a lot of these Black-owned media, right? So taking a very comprehensive look, um, but it's got to start with commitment um, and it's got to start with a, a real commitment to partnership, not just to spend a couple dollars here, a couple dollars there and have to send people back through that cycle year over year. Um, and, and so it's, we're staffing up to be able to doing that. Um, and we're bringing in brands again, so that these ecosystems can really get created. And when people look, you know, for a year from now and saying, wait a minute, where did that come from? Where did that come from? It's going to come because people, have, you know, like Mark and many others have leaned forward and made some investments, uh, but made them very deliberately and strategically uh, with partners to build their capability over time um, so that they can grow um, and will fuel, will fuel that ecosystem. We're going to double. We've already doubled in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. We're going to double again and we're going to double again. And as Damon said, all of those investments are focused on making the ecosystem bigger. Because if you think you, you look at black owned and, and targeted media, it's, you know, one to two percent of the entire media industry. Well, that's a that's a far cry from 13 uh, percent of the population. And, and that requires investment in programming content to create advertising. Uh, it requires investment in in directors, producers, um, uh, 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 production companies. And so we are absolutely committed, as we know you are, 
to make to make a difference in here. And um, and I and again, that is going to be good for everyone. That's going to be good for the industry. It's going to be good for the black community. It's going to be good for business. Um, and it's the right thing to do. Uh, final question, guys. Uh, we all have big jobs and, you know, we all have to take on additional responsibilities. In this time that we find ourselves in, what do you say to people who say, I don't have time to focus on DEI? I don't have time to focus on things that are not moving things off the shelf. What do you say to those executives, black and white, who are in the industry? I'll start, and I don't go to work every day looking at how I advance DEI. I approach from how am I advancing equality, because equality advances business and equality advances communities. So when I look within the things that I influence and control at PG, I manage a lot of our influencer ecosystems. I can ask the question, talk to me about the representation of the influencers that we have on the brand programs, because a more diverse set of influencers on a brand program is gonna result in greater sales. I can talk about the pay equity for those influencers, right? And so I, I, again, I, th this is not about going off and creating another initiative. It's about looking at the core work that you do every day and understanding, are you seeing equal and creating equal and facilitating equal every step along that journey? Uh, and if the answer is no, then you've got work to do. And that's the work, right? Because if you just go off and do a program, the minute someone else sits in your chair, they're going to bring their own program. And that's been, you know, what I've seen in many industries and frankly, in parts of our company over time. But if you make this, you know, we, we talk about it, building it in, not bolting it on, then it becomes part of how you do business. Um, and so I'm not in charge of DEI and neither is Mark, uh, but we're business leaders with specialties in communications and branding. Uh, and that lens brings a very different contribution um, to what we believe is going to be a greater outcome for P&G, for the industry, and eventually for the world. You know, and, and um, if, if someone says to me, uh, I don't have time for equality, then my thought or comment would be, then time's going to run out on you um, because you need to understand and go deeper in terms of understanding what equality does. What equality and inclusion does is exactly as Damon described. Quality and inclusion drives business drives industries. Uh, you have to make the connection. You got to take the time, understand, just look at the inequalities and look at what that means. Inequality in terms of wealth and income, for example, um, uh, between, between women and men, between uh, uh, black, Hispanic, Asian Pacific, native and indigenous people versus, versus the average. That, that, that wealth and income gap and in inequality is, is, opportunity it's a problem and it's an opportunity closing that gap getting equality on just wealth and income is worth trillions of dollars um so and that trillions of dollars is then going to lead to trillions of dollars of purchasing power and it's going to lead to economic growth and it's going to lead to jobs and it's going to lead to a lot of things so make the connection is what what is it? What is important? And then and then go back and say, and now what do you do 
that allows you to do that. Some of that stuff can look really daunting. I know that. But but understand what is your part? That's why what we look at is we say, what's our part? Our part is we're the world's largest advertiser. What can we do? We can make sure that we accurately portray, promote equality, and then make sure that we have equality inter behind the camera and make sure that we're building the media ecosystem um, among black owned and targeted. All that is going to add growth and value creation, and that's good for everybody. So, you know, take the time to understand how it connects and how equality and inclusion will make a difference in your business. And uh, it'll be time well spent. Well, I want to thank you both, Damon and Mark, for, for this conversation. Uh, our audience, I'm sure, is going to love it. Uh, but most importantly, I want to thank both of you for being a waymaker. Uh, you've been a waymaker for me personally. You've been a waymaker for the BET brand. And you've been a waymaker for many brands in our industry. So I want to thank you for that. Appreciate it. And ask you to keep on being a waymaker. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Lewis. Lewis, you are the waymaker extraordinaire, and you you guide us and inspire us. So thank you for all the waymaking you have been doing, and for inviting us into your waymaker family. It's a it's an honor and a privilege. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation between Lewis Carr, Mark Pritchard, and Damon Jones. What did you enjoy about this episode? Let us know on our social media at Waymaker Culture. Don't forget to claim your first six months of the Waymaker Journal free at waymakerjournal.com. And be sure to enter the Waymaker giveaway by going to waymakercontest.com. Subscribe to the Waymaker Fireside Chat podcast to get notifications each time we release an episode.